Bowl Presentations Podcast. This is episode 82, and it is a 4th of July special, and it is called, Yo Dude, We're Serious, You Need to Get All the Way Naked Right Now, The American Revolution. What's up? 4th of July is a couple days away. I was going to do it before. I was going to do it Monday, but like, you guys are going to have 4th of July. If you if you do a special about the holiday after the holiday, I feel like nobody gives a shit. I don't know, people probably don't give a shit now, but I'm just saying, if you were gonna, like, if you need 4th of July, if you could use 4th of July barbecue facts about the history of America, that's why it's coming out on Friday, just so if you, if you show up, you got nothing to talk about, I mean, it's a risk to start talking shit on Thomas Hutchinson from the 1700s, who was, like, the Boston governor that was kind of a piece of shit, but at least you got something, you know, meeting new people can be hard, so, and I, honestly, I don't know the story. I didn't know the story of the American Revolution. And 4th of July is coming up. If I had to lie about it, I, I would. And be like, I don't know, uh, Boston Tea Party. I wouldn't even have known that. I would have just been like, I know it now because that's in our story. But, yeah, I don't know. I would just be like, British, British money, American, the end. So, I wanted, because I, I remember I, I was supposed to learn it in 10th grade. I think it was 10th grade that we did call it, like, American history. I remember being in Miss Vandenberg's class, and she used to have these things called DBQs, which were document-based questions. So you had to, she put an actual overhead on a, like an old school overhead. That's how old I am. It was like an old, click it on, hope, like all the students hope the lights are, the light bulbs burn out in there. So she would put on an old overhead and then just put up an article from back in the day and then have some questions to go with the article. And I didn't really, I, I, I didn't really learn American history at the time. I was in tenth grade. I was very immature. And I remember on one of the DBQs, they spelled Massachusetts with F's instead of T's because it was just like the old way of spelling it. And I, that's really all I remember because I remember making the joke to like anybody who was sitting around me and just saying like Massachusetts, like yo, is this about Massachusetts, dude? And that's not that's not how you learn in school. So. I didn't know the story. I wanted to know the story. It fits for 4th of July. If you want to talk to people at a barbecue about it, I got you. I got you covered on here. Or if you're just kind of up in the air about how America got started, we're going to cover that. We're not going to do the actual war. What I was really curious about is how did we get from, from colonies to breaking up with the British Empire and be like, I can't hang out. With, you know, that's it, dude. We're breaking up. This love is no longer. This, I thought it was lasting forever. How did how'd they end up breaking up? So, let's get it going. All right, our story begins. We're looking at the 1760s here. Now, the guys who would lead the American Revolution did not want war with the British Empire in the 1760s. Nobody was even thinking about that. People, like, the money was good. If you were, like, a dude in, if you were a rich dude in the American colonies, like, why would you want war with the British Empire? You were making a shitload of money. Nobody wanted war. The rich people were enjoying military protection from the highest level possible at the time in the world. The British Empire was like the number one imperialist power, and the American colonies felt like, it's kind of cool that we get to be a part of it, dude. So in the 1760s, nobody was even really talking about war or being anything else or anything like that. Now, there were 13 colonies, and the population of the American colonies at the time, nobody really traveled more than 30 miles from where they were born. It was just, you were born, hang out, take a long walk one time, and then you die. That's pretty much how it was. It was a rural society, and there was only like 10 places that you could really call cities at the time. Again, the country was very young. As far as cities, you had like Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Charlestown. 
and like a handful of other ones, but really it was like an like a agrarian society. People spread out, nobody really talking, everybody just kind of happy to be part of the British Empire. Nice, you know? And you also, they also had military pr protection from the British Empire in dealing with the French, who were dealing with like the French and Indian War. That got sorted out eventually, and then the Spanish also get kicked out. And after that happens, the American colonies are like, yo, this is so nice. You know, it's just, there's no other powers here. We're happy to be under the British Empire. Why would we ever want war with these people? This is the 1760s. And actually, like, American colonists kind of envied British people. Like, the British Empire was seen as, like, cool. Like, high-level dudes in New York would read British newspapers to try to be more British or drink tea at certain British times of drinking tea out of teacups that they bought specially from Britain, and they would sit there and be like, damn, we are almost British, dude. Almost. It was like a... They wanted to... They aspired to be like the people that they were under, you know? So nobody was thinking about war. At the time, George Washington was just trying to be the richest dude in Virginia, trying to buy up land, hustle, see what he's doing. And Ben Franklin was living in England, and he was just hanging out. Now... Ben Franklin had a problem in England. I mean, it was a problem overall about how the British aristocracy saw even the highest level of, of American colony aristocracy at the time. Like, there's no way that the British aristocracy would ever give full respect to any, anybody from the American colonies. Doesn't matter what you did. The highest level you could get, in their opinion, is like, ah, well, I guess this guy made some money. Like, that's pretty cool. And that's sort of how they saw Ben Franklin, even though he was just hanging out in England you know, keeping relations good, but they saw him as like, oh, this guy, like, made a lot of money off of printing. All right, so he used to, like, write pamphlets. He invented some shit. Like, they weren't giving him credit. They were like, oh, this guy just knows how to make money commercially, but he's not, he's not like us, you know? So, but that's, that was the lay of the land. Oh, also, I put the word uncouth in the notes because that's how I just, how I was thinking that the British would call Ben Franklin, like, uncouth. But I also, in writing that word, knew that I didn't actually know what it meant. So, real quick, Uncouth is spelled U-N-C-O-U-T-H, and it means lacking in good manners or refinement. I don't think I used that word much, but it was in my head, and it didn't really have a definition. It was just one of those words that, you know how, like, they're close to other words, so you just sub them in, but every now and then you'll pick one that you don't actually know what it means. So that's what uncouth means, lacking in good manners or refinement. If you throw up at a 4th of July cookout, somebody might call you uncouth, though. So. Vocab word there. All right, 1765, British Parliament takes a look at cost benefit of having the American colonies, and they're like, all right, look, we are, it's a little expensive to keep these guys afloat. We like them, but it is a little expensive. Let's just put, let's just put a little bit of a tax on them just to pay for the military protection. And that's, that's kind of how it was seen. England did not see this first tax in 1765 as like any sort of big anything. It was sort of just thrown in the British Parliament of like, yeah, and we're going to start taxing them a little bit because, you know, we do protect them. So we'll just chuck that on there. They had like other legislation going at the same time. So they just chucked this tax out there. Now, this tax was called the Stamp Act, right? Which may have jogged your memory from 10th grade or 6th grade or whenever you did American history. And maybe you didn't pay attention either because you were making jokes about T's being F's in the word Massachusetts, which, you know, but do you kind of remember the Stamp Act? When I got to it, I was like, oh shit, I've heard this, but I have no idea what the hell this is. So, the Stamp Act was just a small tax that British Empire threw in the colonies because protecting them was like a little bit expensive. You know, we got the Atlantic Ocean in between us. You know, just kick us some fucking money, man, right? It was just a small tax. British didn't think it was going to be anything. Now, 
This highlights when I was learning this story, dude, one of the like important intangibles in this story to me is for this entire situation, communication between the British Empire and the American colonies took six weeks using a wooden boat. Which I don't know if that got, that probably doesn't get overlooked, honestly, for like real historians, but I didn't really even consider that. And the idea of like, you can't talk to the other side for six weeks is, is like one of the worst setups I've ever heard for any sort of diplomacy, especially if it involves conflict or conflict resolution. You can't talk to people for six weeks. Like the British Empire passed the Stamp Act, right? Stamp Act tax, not a big deal. Throw it in there with some other legislation. All right, put that notice on a wooden boat. Six weeks later, it's going to arrive in the American colonies. Even in those six weeks, it wasn't even a big deal when the British Empire passed it. They probably fucking forgot about it. So we, after six weeks of being passed by Parliament, the Stamp Act arrives in America, and people are pissed, dude. Specifically, sailors and lawyers are affected, but okay, what's important here is why the American colonies were pissed. Because they had the money to pay it. It wasn't a huge tax or anything. American colonies were pissed because... Nobody talked to him about before putting a tax on this shit. Nope, this is just straight up the, the British Empire deciding that it costs more money to exist. And the American colonies already kind of had like a little brother inferiority complex going because of, you know, the, the highest anybody can achieve is like, oh, that guy made money, but, you know, he's still uncouth. Ooh, vocab, already using it, right? There was already a little brother complex going. And so when they get a tax, it doesn't matter how small it is, that just arrives on a wooden boat and nobody asks them shit. That's what really makes all the American colonies be like, yo, what are you talking, why, why do I have to bring a dish to Thanksgiving? You take my yams and then you make me sit at the kids' table. I brought those yams. People are pissed, man. And the British, again, it's six weeks from when it was passed. British Empire is chilling. They don't even fucking remember it at this point. But American colonies are upset. Because they're sensitive about being seen as a little brother, man. You should have asked us something. I know it takes six weeks to talk, but you could have thrown us a thing. Then when we say, like, yeah, we'd be happy to pay a tax, and that's it. There's a couple points in this story where the Atlantic Ocean really got in the way of making, like, this not happen. I think the Atlantic Ocean plays a huge role in the American Revolution based upon the communication speed that was available to the people at the time. If they had the internet, I don't know if this shit would have happened. So the American colonies are upset, but it takes another six weeks, at least after the first six weeks. So you're looking at a total of 12 weeks, AKA three months, AKA a quarter of a year before word gets back to the British parliament, British empire, that the American colonies are so mad about this tax. They, I, for sure, some people forgot about it over there by then, but British parliament learns that the American colonies are not into it. It's not okay, and there's a real hubbub over there. Ben Franklin in England then makes an impassioned speech to Parliament and more or less tells him, like, yo, okay, so you've made everybody mad for one of the smallest tax I've ever seen in my life. And you are a, what? You are a trade empire, right? So you, all of your money comes off trade, and the American colonies are one of your largest markets for your manufactured goods. So you are pissing off your one of your largest markets for your manufacturing goods for one of the smallest taxes I've ever seen in my life that you guys didn't even really think out and you chucked into a bunch of extra legislation like it wasn't going to matter and it totally blew up in your face because you didn't know you were going to hurt their feelings like that. You should have fucking asked them. After Ben Franklin makes that speech, 1776, or I'm sorry, 1766, 
British Parliament repeals the Stamp Act. Way to go, Ben. This pacifies the American colonialists, but some members of British Parliament are not into it. They do not like repealing it. They don't, they don't think the idea of, like, if you give a mouse a cookie, it's going to want a glass of milk. Some members of British Parliament are like, if we give them anything, if we give them this at all, I'm tell it's just going to get worse. We can't, you leave it, maybe put another tax on top of it. Don't give them the carrot, give them the stick. There were some members of British Parliament who thought like that, but I don't know. Either way, whatever way you played it, it, it seemed like the, the relationship was degradating, honestly. In large part due to the Atlantic Ocean, because you guys can't talk or anything. Alright, also, on the day the Stamp Act is repealed, British Parliament also passes something called the Declaratory Act. Now, this, this all this said was that, according to the British Empire, American colonies can be taxed whenever and for whatever the British Empire decides on. It's just a way to put legislation down in order to insulate, because like, okay, well, before the Stamp Act, this shit didn't exist, so the American colonies may have had a you know, an actual argument of like, what the hell are you doing putting this tax on us out of nowhere, man? So on the day British British Parliament repeals the Stamp Act, they also pass the, Declar uh, the Declaratory Act, which means anytime in the future we decide to tax anything, you guys can't say shit. Okay, we let you go on this one. Sorry about that if we hurt your feelings, but this is now in play. So a year later, a tax is put on all manufactured goods imported from England for the American colonies. After that's happened, the American colonies then counterpunched by signing a non-importation act, effectively declaring a total boycott on all goods imported from England. Now, the problem with this is that the American colonies were not really unified at all. Even, even, not even just talking about different states talking to each other, like just the actual social, like the social strata of the society at the time. Like there was rich people at top. And they didn't talk to poor people. And then you also had slavery going on at the same time. So, I mean, without goes without saying that there were some problems in uh, the societal fabric going on here. But anyway, trying to get everybody on the same page to not buy British goods was difficult. Because rich people didn't like to talk to the common man. It was seen as like, un, uh, uh, here we go again, dude, uncouth. Look at it. Just, <laughs> it was seen as uncouth. But eventually... Everybody gets on the same page for a boycott of British manufactured goods, including the common man and women. And once that happens, British newspapers start making fun of the Americans for involving the common man and women in their politics. Which just makes people even more mad. Because getting the boycott all together meant driving home to the common man that, like, you gotta make your own stuff. Like, it's, it's, you gotta figure it out, figure out your own way. So once that got going... They saw British newspapers making caricatures of like, ha ha ha, Americans using common men and women, da da da. It just made people even more mad. Again, relationship between the two powers falling apart even further, and nobody can talk because there's a giant, giant ocean in the middle. Alright, so, I didn't know about this, so I wanted to put this in the episode. There's a quick sidebar on tar and feathering. Right, because this starts to go on at this point in time. I didn't really know exactly, I thought these guys got lit on fire. I thought tar and feathering meant you, you became a torch and then they light you on fire. But no, 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 that's not even part of it. Check this out. So tar and feathering was invented in medieval Europe and since then has been used as a form of mob justice. So what actually is tar and feathering? Okay, so wood tar, and I find out what that is in a second, but 
tar and feather just in general, is wood tar is either poured or painted onto a person while they are held down or like held in the chair. And then the victim either has feathers thrown on them or they are made to roll around in a pile of feathers so that the feathers get stuck to a tar and you look like a, like a chicken. But oh, also sometimes the oil's hot or sometimes the tar's hot. Okay, so real quick, just wood tar, even if it's not hot, is going to suck to get covered by because I looked up wood tar. It comes from trees, hence the name wood tar. So they, a lot of the time they get it from pine trees. So what you're getting covered with is pine tree sap that has been doctored up to be thicker than normal. And they're putting that all over your body with feathers. So even if it's not hot, that's really not, I mean, that's so sticky, dude. That is. And then it was so sticky to think about that I looked up how to get pine tar or how to, yeah, how to get like it off your skin. So today, if you get pine sap on your skin, you can get it off with grease cutting dish soap or alcohol-based hand sanitizer, and that'll help get pine sap off your skin. So I was looking like, how do these guys, if you don't light them on fire and they don't die and they just went home afterwards, cleaning this shit off must have been a mess. But I think you could have just used like the 1700s equivalent of Everclear and rub it all over your body and then it would come off. But either way, you're not going to feel good about that, you know? Aside from, you know, you're embarrassed to begin with that everybody saw you get tar and feathered and your skin's going to be all messed up. But anyway, that's tar and feathering. So, the reason we covered that is because at this point in time, there is too much tar and feathering going on in America. People who want to separate from the British Empire every now and then will grab a loyalist who's somebody who's still loyal to the British Empire crown. Maybe it's a stamp collector, somebody who's collecting taxes, hold them down, paint them with tar, throw some feathers on them. Don't light them on fire, though. So there's too much of that going on. So England then sends a brigade of young soldiers to Boston. And England sees this as just like a peacekeeping, like policing action. So they send, I think it was like 2,000 dudes. I'm not exactly sure how many dudes. It was like a brigade of dudes to Boston because too many people are getting tarred and feathered. Now, Ben Franklin still hanging out in England at this time is like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard of. You, you cannot send... Yo, this is going to go terribly, man. What are you doing? But they do it. And then this leads to March 5th, 1770. A crowd of Bostonians start overhanding snowballs at this British peacekeeping, you know, army that's in their city. And this causes those soldiers to open fire on them and kill five of them. This is known as the Boston Massacre. I didn't actually, I've heard that before. And I think I've heard it used to like advertise pro wrestling. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's the Boston Massacre from 1770. There's just too much tar and feathering going on. British Empire sent over some people in Boston to try to keep the peace. People were chucking snowballs at them. Five people got shot and killed. Now, this also blows up because this is all pre-internet. But Paul Revere would then draw a version of the events. I'm not actually sure if he was there or not, but he definitely drew this picture because this picture fired everybody up. So Paul Revere draws a picture of the Boston Massacre which just looks like half of the page is the like regimented British redcoats, professional army firing muskets into a crowd of like women, children, unarmed dudes. And everybody who's getting shot has like a fountain of blood. It's like they look like like a, like big trouble in little China deaths where it's like eh, this is a ridiculous level of special effects. But that illustration of the Boston Massacre is disseminated all around the American colonies, and people get really upset about this. So, 
This brings us to 1773. At this point in time, things have been going poorly. Now, the British Empire strikes a deal with the East India Trading Company for a half a million units of tea at a crazy low price. It's almost like buy one, get one pricing. Like the East India Company was killing it so hard. It's, it's, the lo- it's almost like buy one, get one, dude. They, they, it's the lowest pricing you could ever have. And so here's what the, the British think this might be like a nice thing. So they buy a half million units of this tea. And then they put just a small little tax. They put a little tax on top of it. And then they send the tea to America. Now, the overall price of the tea of this half million units that the British Empire has sent to America, even with the tax on it, is still cheaper than regular tea. It's still a bargain. There's a bargain half million units of tea. Unfortunately, you put the tax on it and you did the same thing you did last time where you didn't ask anybody before you threw a tax on it, even though you passed the Declaratory Act, which technically means you can tax the American colonies whatever you want. You did the exact same thing you did last time. I'm not going to blame the ocean for this one. This feels like you had time to ask them. You were working out this business deal. They put a little tax on top of it. They send the tea to America. This brings us to December 16th, 1773, Boston, middle of the night. On this night, or on the next day, the tea tax is due to be paid. And this is when a group of dudes dress up like Mohawk Indians, and then they sneak aboard the ships, holding the tea, that carries also the new tax on it, which is due tomorrow, and then proceed to dump 340 cases of tea overboard as a political gesture of American defiance to the British Empire. There's nobody hurt. The only property damage was that they busted a lock on the ship. Just the tea got chucked, right? Nobody got killed. Tea got chucked. Also, this is my favorite part of the story here, this little sidebar on the Boston Tea Party. It's also where the title comes from because during the Boston Tea Party, one of the guys who was dressed up and was in, he was like with his boys on the ship, dumping tea, having a good time. Now, problem is one of the dudes gets caught pocketing some tea. He was, you know, he just, we're throwing it overboard anyway. I wake up every morning, man. Let me get some free tea, right? He gets caught doing it by the other people, by by his friends who are dumping the tea. And they are upset at him. What they do is they make him take the tea out of his pockets. Then they make him strip naked and then run home. That happened in the Boston Tea Party. That is a piece of history. And I spent like 15 minutes yesterday walking around my place, acting like, like just playing out being that dude. (laughs) Just being like, come on, man. Don't make me get all the way naked, bro. Come on, man. And thinking about like, I don't know if that kind of justice, like that off the cuff, if you're hanging out with your friends and you do something weird, they make you get naked and run home. I don't know if that was a normal thing for back, if that was a regular punishment or not. Or, because I, I, I thought about this for a while, man. I thought, all right, so I did end up saying the Boston me party to myself. If I, I was acting like I was the guy who's trying to make excuses to like get his friends to laugh so he doesn't have to get naked while they're telling him, they're like, you got to get naked and run home. You're like, come on, man, it's a Boston me party. What are you talking about? We're getting a little bit done here. I was also, I also caught myself thinking, like, was get naked and run home one order, or did it start as a joke? Is part of American history, is a little snippet of it, one of the funniest things to make your friend do, if you catch him stealing tea when you're supposed to be doing a political action? Because if they caught him, and then the guy who was leading it was like, yo, dude, take that tea out of your pocket. Also, yo, get naked. Pull your whole ass out, dude. 
you got to get naked on this boat right now. And then the rest of the people doing it, like, heard that Mike had to get naked. And then it just catches fire. So somebody on, like, in the crow's nest would be like, yo, Mike's getting get naked, Mike. And then Mike has to get all the way naked. And then after Mike's nude and you're all looking at him, because it's cold outside. It's Boston, dude. What, when does this take? March? Yeah, it's going to be cold. That's not going to look good. Oh, no, it's December. It's really cold, dude. You're not going to look cool naked on that boat. So after you're naked, standing in front of your friends, getting made fun of, I don't know. I hope it, I hope it was all one order of like, yo, get naked and run home because that's the least damaging. Because if your friends all made fun of you and then they made you get naked on a boat when it's cold out and you're not going to be looking your best, especially when you're nude, and then they put on top of it, now you got to run home. You're not allowed to hang out with us anymore. Now run home to your wife with your, with your ass out. <laughs> that's, that's even worse. But it's still funny. And the idea that like they made him run home naked, right? But they didn't have their clothes on the boat. So they made, like, I don't know if they watched the docks after he ran naked off the boat to make sure he didn't put his pants on. So I don't know, that's my favorite part of the story that some dude just had to go home to his wife ass naked and be like, hey, she's like, how'd it go? He's like, well, I was trying to get some free tea, but I lost a pair of pants. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, we, I think they did it. I'm not sure. It's my favorite part of the story. All right, finish it up. The British Empire is pretty upset at the Boston Tea Party. Mostly because the discount tea was supposed to be like, not, a, not like a gift, but like kind of a cool thing of like, yo, we bought this half million units of tea. There's a little bit of tax on it, but American colonies, you're with us. Here's a super cheap tea. And, you know, the Boston Tea Party happened. So it's almost like you snub somebody who's trying to do a nice thing for you. So it just gets more heated between the two of them. So, 1774, Benjamin Franklin is forced to go on trial in England as a scapegoat for the Boston Tea Party. Now, what did happen here is that as Benjamin Franklin saw relations between the British Empire and the American colonies falling apart, he did, he, he did try to write some letters to try to blame the governor of Boston for everything. Like he just he just tried to scapegoat that dude as a way to tamp down everybody being all the way mad at each other, like all of the colonies and all of the British Empire being pissed. Ben Franklin did try to send a couple of letters on the sly and be like, yo, Thomas Hutchinson. That's where they got that's who that's the governor of Boston, Thomas Hutchinson, who also, I mean, not the greatest guy in this story, but it is noted that he was terrified to defy the British Empire because he didn't want to get hung by them. And then also he's living in Boston where the massacre just happened and the Tea Party. So he was caught between two things. But, you know, so anyway, Ben Franklin did try to blame that guy. And then England did find out about it. And then after the Tea Party happened, this is how Ben Franklin ends up having to go to court in England. And Ben Franklin just gets yelled at. That's all this is. This is Ben Franklin going on trial, getting yelled at. Doesn't say anything back. Dress is nice. A bunch of guys in powdered wigs yell at him for a while. Calling him all sorts of names and all this other shit. And then after it's over, and I love this, Ben Franklin lets him finish. Walking out of the courtroom, leans into the, the chief prosecutor who was yelling at him a lot. And just says, I'll make your king a little man for this. And then leaves. That's it. So Brent, Ben Franklin has to leave England at this point in time. But he did it on a decent closing line. You know, so after Ben Franklin gets yelled at in England for a while and forced to leave and then threatens to make a king a little man, England then sends British warships and 2000 British troops to occupy and close down Boston Harbor. Things are bad now. They also install a military governor 
in Boston. Things are bad. This threatens the colonists because if they can shut down Boston Harbor, they can shut down New York, they can shut down anything. So, this leads to the formation of the first Continental Congress. This is when all the American colonies, all 13 of them, send representatives to New York City to talk about what the hell is going on here. Now, the first Continental Congress takes two months, and part of the reason that it takes so long is because American colonists don't have a ton in common with each other. And this is a time where most people, or most people don't leave, don't go farther than like 30 miles from their house. And so like, if you're somebody, you know, from, even from like New York and Virginia, they don't really know each other, but both of them know the British empire because both of them, that's the one thing that like, even if these colonists didn't have a lot in common with each other, they all knew the British empire because they all at one point in time aspired to kind of be British. But at this point in time, things have gone off the rails so hard that now they're on the first Continental Congress and they got to talk about what the hell they're going to do about this because Boston is occupied and that's not okay. So after two months, the 13 colonies decide, all right, in the future, if we have to, we are going to act as one nation. They also decide part of, part of that is we got to get guns. So every, every colony, you got to have a militia. I don't care if it sucks. You guys got to get guns. Just, just so we could tell them we got guns. So those are the two things decided. And then also, after the Continental Congress is done, they send a letter to the British Empire, to King George, and they give him a heads up that like, hey, how are you? We met. So in the future, we are, we may be making decisions all as one big thing. Just a heads up. We all met each other. We get along well. Also, all of us all have guns now. So just throwing that out there. We all got militias, not trying to say anything. And then they end it with like, but just a heads up, we are really happy to be part of the British Empire, man. We're not trying to do anything. We're just saying, we're just keeping you in the loop. You know, how we like to get keeping, you know, we've had some mistakes in the, pro in the past because you didn't keep us in the loop with taxes. We're just trying to keep you in the loop with this. We got guns and shit now, and we'll all act as one if we need to. British Empire doesn't take that great. That's not great news. So what they do is that the British Empire then instructs the new military governor of Boston to take 700 dudes and seize a cache of guns and, you know, weapons, armor, all that shit, bombs, whatever the fuck you got. Take 700 dudes and then go to Concord, Massachusetts, get those weapons to show these people that they're not, that, that this is not going to fly. This is not okay. We're going to come take your guns. Quit messing around over here. And this is the Battle of Lexington and Concord. If you call it Concord when I first said it, yeah, this is the first battle of the American Revolution. Now, what happened here? Okay, so the British Empire told the military guy or military governor, go take 700 guys and go get those guns. Word gets out that this is happening, so the local militia mounts up, goes out there to meet them. Now, the local militia looks like ass. They're not very good. They're not, they're not very cool looking. And the British Empire is the strongest in the world. They, they, and they look, they look professional, man. They're in that whole, they're in the Napoleonic warfare lines. So you got the British Empire lined up, ready to go. And then you got, you know, a bunch of uncles hanging out. <laughs> some people, some young kids, everybody's got a gun. Right, so the battle's about to break out. And then there's the, the British leadership meets with the militia leadership. The British leadership is like, yo, you guys got to get out of here. You got to disperse. That's enough of this. And the militia leaders are like, you are right. 
I got to tell you, this looks worse than I thought. My bad on this one. All right, we're going to get the hell out of here. Militia leaders turn around, tell the militia, like, hey, guys, we're going to go home. We showed them we're out here. We're going home. Everybody starts retreating. American colonial militia is done with the battle, walking away, right? Now, nobody knows what happened here, but somebody fired a shot. There's no record in history of who did this. It might have been the dude they made get naked trying to make up for, like, you know, messing up before and being like, all right, well, I'll do this cool thing now. I'll shoot at the British. Fucked everything up, you know? They don't know who did it, but somebody fired at somebody. And then after that first shot went off, the British Empire started laying into the American militia. And that was the beginning of the American Revolution. So, guys, thanks for listening. I hope you guys have a nice 4th of July. I don't know, it's been hot as shit the last couple of days, but it'll be cool to go out. Hopefully it doesn't rain all day. I like a good barbecue, you know? Why not? Anyway, guys, that's the story of the American Revolution. Thanks for listening to this show. Uh, I'll be back on Patreon a little bit later on. And, uh, all right, I'll talk to you guys later. I'll see you.